Bibles to the Gospel of Luke in Luke chapter 2. We'll start here, but we'll be jumping around. There's a few passages and, um, that we'll be going through this morning, but we're going to start in Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. She gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this account. Certainly there's many other details and circumstances concerning the birth of our Lord, which um, remain unknown to us. But you have seen fit to give us this account, which Luke recorded for us. The great joy of the shepherds as they came to see this thing that had happened. And even as Luke records for us the um, historical background we know that this thing has happened as your word has clearly proclaimed and your spirit tells us. Lord, as we consider these truths and the implications, please guide our hearts and minds. As I speak, I pray that my words would be your words and that your words would go forth in power and precision to impact the hearts and minds of your people for your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now, as I considered this passage and 
all the others concerning the birth of Jesus Christ, and then looking at all the other passages concerning um, the incarnation, thinking of all the themes and implications concerning Jesus' birth. There were some themes that kept popping up in my mind, those themes of salvation, of joy, anticipation, thankfulness, hope, all of which are characteristic of the Christmas story. However, when most of us think of Christmas, the primary characteristic is Jesus Christ himself. God as an infant, born of a virgin, and all those other themes are a result or response to him and his birth. When most people think of Christmas, though, and even Christians included, if the birth of Christ isn't the first thing they think of, then it is the gifts and the gift-giving, everything that comes with that around this season. And though, you know, as we think of cultural Christmas and the things in our culture, gifts and gift-giving should not be the first thing we think of when we think about Christmas as believers, but it definitely shouldn't be the only thing. It's not entirely wrong either. In reading this passage in Luke chapter 2, I couldn't help but see the wonder, the joy, the excitement of the shepherds concerning the news of Christ's birth and, and then their response afterwards as they went out glorifying, praising God for all they had heard and seen. And, and I couldn't help but think of the same emotions and responses in children on Christmas Day concerning their gifts or leading up to Christmas Day, Christmas morning especially. Some of you probably can think back to times in your childhood or your own children and pictures and scenes of kids coming down the stairs or running into the living room under the tree and just full of excitement, and wonder, joy, anticipation about these gifts that they're about to receive. And I often wonder, as we come to celebrate God's gift to us and His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and salvation through Him, I wonder, and even have to ask myself, is there the same level of wonder, joy, and excitement in response to God's gift and of Jesus as there is in children on Christmas or in the shepherds in this passage? Do we have the same level of joy, excitement, anticipation, hope, thankfulness? All throughout the Bible, the Word of God clearly proclaims salvation as the gift of God and likewise asserts that God gave His Son as a gift to the world and to the nation of Israel, but particularly to those who would receive Him and believe upon Him for eternal life. Jesus Christ and salvation through Him is the gift of God. And in considering the gift of God and the person and work of Jesus Christ, I want us to look at four characteristics of this gift in Christ. Four characteristics of the gift of God and His Son, Jesus Christ, and salvation through Him. And first is that the gift is from God. It's from God. And probably the most famous verse in the whole Bible and, and what 
Even many unbelievers know John 3.16 says that for God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. That whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. God gave His Son as a gift to the sin-cursed world. As a gift to those who would believe in Him. And the gift is from God. It's from God like everything else is from God. Everything comes from God. Creation itself. The world is the Lord's. Psalm 24.1 says, Everything, the heavens and the earth, all it contains, from the greatest to the smallest molecule, everything is the Lord's. Everything comes from God. Mankind and nations come from God. As Paul, I'm reminded of his address on the on the Areopagus in, in Acts chapter 17, he's confronting the, the pagan Greeks and, and their idolatry and all their idols. And he says this in Acts 17.24, he says, The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. Since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything, And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. Everything comes from God. Mankind, nations, our dwelling places, his his providence in directing our paths and and where we live, move, and have our being is from God. Everything's from God. Even Good and evils from God. Morality. Trouble. Proverbs 16 says, The Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. All things come from Him. All things are by Him. All things are for Him. And especially this gift of His Son. The gift of salvation is it's from Him like everything else is. And, and the gift is from God like every other gift is. Everything, every good thing we receive, is, it comes from the Lord. Life itself comes from God. As Job says in Job chapter 33 and verse 4, The Spirit of God has made me and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. Too often we think of our lives as ours. It's my life. I get to do with it as I please. It's not true. The Bible says that our lives come from God. It's God that has given us life. We belong to God. It is a gift from God. Along with all the other earthly blessings that come with this life, food, shelter, clothing, a spouse, children. Matthew said in his sermon, or uh, as Matthew records Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, Um, Jesus says this, For He makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. His his common grace to all creatures. He gives to all people food, shelter, and clothing. Psalm 127 says, Children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. This gift of Jesus is from God like everything else is and like every other gift is from God. It's all from God. 
All that is and ever was is from God. John Calvin wrote this in his commentary. Whatever we think valuable ought to be acknowledged as received from God. If then all the excellency we have is God's gift, it is very strange that we do not learn humility when God thus binds us to himself, but that on the contrary we abuse his bounty by making it the occasion of pride. There's no reason to be prideful for many of the things we have. And that would include our own salvation. There's no reason at all to be prideful for being a Christian. It's, it's antithetical to Christianity. Pride. Because everything's from God. Even our trials and challenges which shape us and grow us. As James says that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. And James writes that in the context of speaking about trials. That we're to consider it all joy, because those trials are ordained by God to shape us into the image of God, into the image of His Son. The gift of Jesus Christ is from God like everything else, and like every other gift is. It's a manifestation of His grace and His love. Because as John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world. And too often we think of love as an emotion, and certainly it is an emotion. Emotions are with it, but it's primarily an act. God loved the world in this way, that He gave us His Son. It's the greatest act of love ever. This gift of His Son is from Him to this sin-cursed world. Jesus came from God and is God, just like salvation is all of God. The gift is from God. And second, the gift is a gift. It's exactly that. It's a gift. Probably one of the, the, the main passages um, we quote and we use in our evangelism, we think of in terms of salvation is Ephesians 2, 8-9. Ephesians 2, 8-9, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. The gift of Jesus Christ, the gift of salvation, is exactly that. It's a gift. And it can't be earned. No gift can be earned. Salvation can't be earned. Notice how in Ephesians 2, um, 8, In 9, it says this. It says, this is not your own doing. Your salvation is not your own doing in any way. Further, it's not a result of works. It's a gift. A gift can't be your own doing. You don't make yourself a gift. You don't wrap your own gifts. You don't go buy a gift. I mean, some people might joke about that and certainly... Um, it's funny, but we all know it's not true. We, we don't go out and, you know, purchase something and then put it in a, a box and wrap it up with a nice bow and say, that's a gift from me to me. <laughs> it's, no, it, it, a, a gift is from someone else and it's not of you. It, it, a gift is not earned, nor can it be paid back. It's a gift. 
It's a gift. And sometimes, you know, and in, in, in there's different cultures around the world where there's this principle of reciprocation, where you almost, you give and you're hospitable and it's almost to um, indebt someone to you. It's kind of um, just a way of, the way of the culture that, um, you know, you're, you're kind to others so that you know, when the need arises, they'll be kind to you. And, and some people in cultures like this, or even in our own culture, when someone gives them a gift, because of this principle, it's, it's so hard just to accept it and receive it without thinking, well, I have to give them a gift. They sent me something, so I have to send them a thank you card. And sometimes some people can get so wrapped up in this that, they're sending thank you cards for thank you cards. <laughs> it's like, just receive it. Just accept it. You know, it's like, like the, the, the person who, who um, they can't let someone else pay for dinner. They can't let someone else pay for lunch. And they're, they're fighting over the check. And, and it, it's good to be generous, but at some point, you know, you have to be humble enough to receive a gift, and to receive a blessing. And why is salvation a gift? Well, first, it can't be earned. It can't be paid back. And then in verse 9 of Ephesians 2, it says, so that no one may boast. So that no one may boast. And here's the thing. Deep down, we want to boast. We want to somehow take some form of credit for our salvation, for our standing with God, even if it's just um, a wise decision. Well, well, I made the decision. I raised my hand. I responded to the call. I repented. I believed. Salvation, beginning to end, it's a work of God. It's a gift of God. Just as this verse and many other verses say, uh, Apostle Paul, in, in writing to the Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and, and I'm always astounded by the beginning of his letter to the Corinthians, which, in, in which, you know, despite all their failings, despite all their wrong forms of worship, their questions, their immorality, he calls them saints. To the saints. Because they were. Not because of anything they did but because of what Christ had done through them. And in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, verse 26, Paul writes this. He says, for, for Consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. He goes on, he says, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. He's quoting Jeremiah there, Jeremiah 9, let not the mighty man boast in his might, and let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, but let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Because every gift is from God. Every, all our abilities, everything we have, our circumstances themselves are from God. And primarily and most importantly, our salvation 
is from God. And, and even as Paul says to the Corinthians, we can look at our own lives. And there's not many who are mighty or noble or wise. Now, generally speaking, in most churches, there's a lot of people that grew up in church and, and they were good, upstanding citizens, good people, at least in the, eye, in the eyes of the world and, and the eyes of the church. But we know our own thoughts and our own heart and our own desires. And, and for many believers, they have a past. They have a sinful past. And they can look at that past and, and see that, but for the grace of God, there go I. And, and if God had not intervened, who knows where I would be. And it's only by God's grace that I am what I am. It's true of all believers, even if we've had a good upbringing. God chose us. He redeemed us. He delivered us. The gift is a gift. It's not earned and it's not deserved either. A gift that's deserved or earned is not a gift. It's not a gift at all. And, and you know, I, I think of this in, in Christmas time, and, and um, you think of those scenes which are in um, Christmas movies, and, and um, maybe you don't see it too much in malls anymore, but the, the scene with the Santa Claus and the, the kids coming up, and, and then Santa asks, you know, if they were naughty or nice. I, I don't know if they would, Santas today would do that, <laughs> but uh, they would just give it. But, um, and that would actually be more biblical, but, but even, even from the perspective of Santa, that's not a gift because it's according to whether the, the mythology of Santa, <laughs> whether or not, you know, the kid was naughty or nice. So even in that sense, the worldly cultural uh, Santa mythology, uh, you know, the kid is earning the gift. But we don't earn the gift of salvation. Something that's deserved is due to you. Something that's earned is a wage. Just as, as Paul explains the gospel in the book of Romans, and he, he's using, using this concept of a gift and a wage uh, works versus grace. In Romans chapter 4, he says this. He uses Abraham as an example. And he says in, in verse 3 of chapter 4, For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. And we're, we're justified by grace alone, through faith alone, in the finished work of Christ alone. The gift of Christ is a gift. The gift of salvation is a gift from beginning to end. Because the only thing that we deserve is God's wrath. As Paul later says in Romans chapter 6, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. All that we ever earn is death. All that we ever earn is punishment, wrath in the sight of God. Because even our, our, our best deeds, even our best works are polluted with self-righteousness and religious pride. We're blinded by our sin. 
A lot of times we do the right things with wrong motives. Our, our, our best works are as filthy rags. The wages of sin is death. D.A. Carson, in his book, The Cross and Christian Ministry, he writes this. He says, If we should express unqualified gratitude to God for the gift of His Son, we should express no less gratitude for the gift of the Spirit who enables us to grasp the gospel of His Son. Unless the Spirit enlightens us, God's thoughts will remain deeply alien to us. It's not just... Christ alone that is the gift and, and, and Him coming and, and His life and His death and His resurrection, His sacrifice for our sins, that's a gift, but it's the Spirit who regenerates us, who enlightens us, who causes us to be born again, who takes out that heart of stone and gives us a heart of flesh that can feel God who illuminates our minds so we can understand, who gives us the faith to believe that we can reach out to God and call upon Him. Salvation is a gift from beginning to end. And Jesus, when He was uh, speaking with the Samaritan woman at the well, He says this, and it's interesting how He evangelized her, and, and only our Lord could really do it in such a way, but um, in his questioning and exposing her sinfulness. And, and he, he says to her, she, she tries to throw up this smoke screen about worship. And uh, he says to her, if, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. It, it's almost as if he, he not only exposes her sinfulness, but her inability to even come to him. He says, if you even knew the gift of God, then you would have asked me for the gift. Uh, apart from Christ, before Christ, we, we don't even fully grasp the gift of God's Son, the gift of salvation. We, we don't fully grasp or understand our sinfulness. God has to enlighten us so that we would even then call out to Him and see our sinfulness and see our need and understand that not only is this gift from God, not only is it a gift, but we need this gift. We desperately need this gift. One commentator says this concerning Ephesians 2.8. He says, Although men are required to believe for salvation... Even that faith is part of the gift of God which saves and cannot be exercised by one's own power. God's grace is preeminent in every aspect of salvation. It's not like the kid in the Santa where you naughty or nice and that will determine whether or not you get this gift. It's like, no, from beginning to end, you don't even know. God has to do a work in your heart, in your mind, and, and so this is a wondrous gift. So we have seen that the gift of God in Jesus Christ and salvation through Him is a gift from God. Second, the gift is just that, a gift. And third, the gift is eternal. 
It's eternal. It's everlasting. It's unchanging and irrevocable. It's guaranteed and preserved forever. He says this is eternal life, everlasting life in many passages, especially in John 3.16, but in John 17, in Jesus' high priestly prayer on the night in which he would be betrayed, he says this, he, Jesus, he, he, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come, glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. The gift is eternal life, and the eternal life is the knowledge of the Son of God, the knowledge of salvation, all that encompasses it, the knowledge of our sin, the knowledge of our need for a Savior. Redemption. This gift is unchanging and irrevocable. If you could lose your salvation, you would. And if you could lose it, it would not be called eternal life. If you were a Christian for three years and, and then you fell away and, and you're apostatized and never came back, you, you never had eternal life. You had three-year life. If it was five years, it was five-year life. If it was 20 years, that's 20-year life. It's not Either you have eternal life or you don't. And if you have it, you have it forever because it's eternal. And furthermore, you can't improve upon it. If you had to improve upon your salvation, then it's not salvation. And that would mean that Jesus Christ is an insufficient Savior. He's a perfect Savior. And for those who He saves, He saves completely. As Paul says in Romans 11.29, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Once you have it, it cannot be taken away and He will not take it away. He goes on at the end of that chapter, you know, this whole first 11 chapters of Romans, he lays out in detail the, the gospel and the implications and applications, all the details, how we are saved, why we are saved. And he says at the end of Romans chapter 11, verse 34, for who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor, or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Salvation's a gift in its purest sense from beginning to end. And it's a gift that can't be repaid. It can't be improved upon. It can't be taken away. God is not, you know, there's an old saying, in, especially in Western movies, you would say an Indian giver. Um, you know, someone that gives a gift with, with, and looking at taking it back. And I know culturally that's probably an unacceptable term now, but you get the, the meaning that, that he doesn't give a gift thinking that someday he might take it back or, or um, want something for it. No, he gives a gift that doesn't have to be repaid. It can't be improved upon. It's perfect. It's guaranteed and preserved. Ephesians 1, and th verse 13, In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed 
with the promised Holy Spirit, who is a guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of His glory. When we we believe in Christ, when we um, are regenerated, when we are born again, the Spirit enters into us and He indwells us. And not only does He indwell us and empower us for service and enlighten our minds to understand the Gospel and all the words of Scripture, but He is the down payment of our salvation until it's complete, until we are glorified in in the presence of our Savior until we get to heaven. He is the guarantee that we are saved. He is the seal of our salvation. Peter writes in his epistle, 1 Peter, in in chapter 1 and verse 3, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Once saved, always saved. Because it's a gift. It can't be revoked. It can't be improved upon. It can't be repaid. It can't be given back. It's a gift. It's the gift of God. And this gift is eternal. Puritan Henry Skugel in his book, The Life of God and the Soul of Man, writes this. God hath long contended with a stubborn world and thrown down many a blessing upon them. And when all his other gifts could not prevail, he at last made a gift of himself. It's exactly what Isaiah writes in many of his passages in chapter 40 through chapter 66, that God came and God delivered his own people from their sins. That God brought redemption. God brought salvation. There is uh, no other Savior. There is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. There is only one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ, and He came to save sinners like us. This is the gift of God and the gift of God in Jesus Christ and salvation through Him is first, a gift from God. Second, the gift is just that, a gift. Third, the gift is eternal. And fourth, the gift is God Himself. That is the gift. God Himself, salvation is a gift from God, but the gift is, is not just salvation from hell. It's not just redemption, but it's God Himself. That we would be with God. Our sins separate us from God. God, God created us to have relationship with Him, to worship Him, to... Um, be his vice regents, his ambassadors upon this earth to glorify him in every way. We are created in the image of God. And even as in Genesis two, it says that you know Adam used to walk with God, and and even later on, even um, even though Enoch was a sinner, he walked with God, and God took him 
We were meant to walk with God, to be in relationship with Him, but our sin separates us from Him. But in salvation, we are brought near again. And we will be brought near. Even in, in, uh, when Moses was probably, probably many times, and he was at the end of himself and, and leading these people through the wilderness, and in Exodus chapter 33, he says to God up on the mountain, he says, please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. Why? Because God is holy, holy, holy. He's perfect. Sin cannot be in his presence in any uh, small, minute amount. Sinners cannot come before him. He abhors sin. He abhors evil. You cannot dwell with him. He is good. So we as sinners are separated from him. David writes in his Psalm 24 in verse 3, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. The answer, no one. No one except those whom God will redeem, will regenerate, will make new, and will draw to himself. This is how great this gift is, is that it's not only from God, it's not only purely a gift, it's not only eternal, but it's God himself. And he came down as, even in Matthew's account of the birth of Jesus he says in Matthew chapter 1, in verse 21, she will, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And he goes on in verse 23 and he says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Quoting from Isaiah that God will be with us. All, all throughout the Old Testament, this whole sacrificial system, the 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 tabernacle and the temple was all to show the holiness of God and the sinfulness of man and that God is not to be taken lightly. We, we cannot just come to Him flippantly. He's holy, holy, holy and, and there's certain things that need to happen for us to even come near Him. And, and even in the, the uh, tabernacle and the temple, there was this separation of the court and then the the tabernacle itself and then the holy of holies and there's certain things that had to happen before you approached God and even only the the high priest could come fully in and even then that that it wasn't true intimacy but God sent his son so that we would be with him that he would indwell us that he would redeem us so that we would be made holy in his sight. He would reconcile us to him. He would fix this broken relationship. He would restore us. So the gift is, is not just God with us and in us, but furthermore that one day 
the gift is us in the presence of God, that we will be brought near. We will be, we'll see him face to face. We will be with him forever. And at the end of, of the Bible in Revelation 20, 21, it says this in verse 3, it says, uh, as John sees this vision, it says, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. This gift from God in His Son is that He lives a life that we could not live. He goes to the cross to die the death that we all deserve to die. He sends the Spirit to indwell us and we are united with Christ in His death, burial, and resurrection. We're empowered. God is with us and in us. But our hope doesn't end there. Because one day we will be with God and a new creation, a new heavens and a new earth, a, a new Jerusalem, a new city. We'll see Him as He is. We will be made new. One commentator writes this, he says, The two expressions, eternal life and everlasting life, appear in the New Testament nearly 50 times. Eternal life refers not only to eternal quantity, as in time, but divine quality of life. It means literally life of the age to come and refers therefore to resurrection and heavenly existence in perfect glory and holiness. This life for believers in the Lord Jesus is experienced before heaven is reached. This eternal life is in essence nothing less than participation in the eternal life of the living word, Jesus Christ. It is the life of God in every believer, yet not fully manifest until the resurrection. This is eternal life, that we may know Him. And as we come to know Him, we grow in our knowledge of Him in greater intimacy and understanding. But ultimately, when we see Him, we will know Him. And we will continue to learn more about Him. This is the gift of God. It's from God. It's a gift. It's eternal. It's God Himself. And as I was considering this gift of salvation in Christ and this season and gift giving, I remember, you know, my childhood experiences with gifts and Christmas. And um, most of you probably have seen this as well that a lot of gift giving and Christmas time is about the children. And, and children are a blessing, and it is a blessing to give gifts to them and see their faces light up and see the joy. That should be our joy when we consider Christ and his gift of salvation. But just, you know, as, as I grew and I could see as, you know, I got older and partly because of my home life and divorce, it seemed like those gifts diminished over time. And uh, it was all right as, you know, I grew and became a teenager and a young adult and they slowly vanished. It, you know, it didn't hurt me that much. It's just, it's just life. Most of our gift giving is for kids, and that's, that's fine. Um, but I do remember my first Christmas as a believer and thinking about gift giving and Christmas time. And uh, 
I didn't, I didn't really, I didn't need anything. I didn't, didn't need any gifts. I didn't need a card. I didn't need someone to call me. I, I didn't even need a Christmas dinner. I remember say, saying to myself and saying to many other people that first Christmas, I, saying, I, I received the greatest gift of all 2,000 years ago. I, I have all that I need. I don't need anything else. This is the gift of God. And if you don't know God, I, the, the call is to receive this gift, to understand that you need this gift, to understand that it is the greatest gift of all. And if you have received this gift, we are to cherish this gift. And we are to go proclaim this gift of God to other sinners. That God has come. God has descended. Light has shone amongst the darkness of this sin-cursed world. There's hope. There's hope in the babe who was born in such a lowly estate. There's hope in Christmas. And there should be joy. And especially amongst us as Christians, our joy should overflow not because we have stuff, but because we have Christ. We have God. We've been redeemed with God. Charles Spurgeon, in speaking on the celebration of Christmas, and I'm sure there's, there's many Christians in the church who um, have different perspectives about whether or not we should celebrate Christmas and, and the nature of our celebrations. I, I think it's good to always celebrate the incarnation, though how you do that is up to you. But Charles Spurgeon wrote this. I'm sure there was saying similar battles and perspectives in his day because he wrote this. He says, feast, Christians, feast. You have a right to feast. But in your feasting, think of the man in Bethlehem. Let him have a place in your hearts. Give him the glory. Think of the virgin who conceived him. But think most of all of the man born, the child given. We have so much to be thankful for. So much to rejoice over, to proclaim, to have joy. And we should be the most joyous people, especially around Christmas, because we've been given the greatest gift of all, the gift of salvation in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this gift which you have given us. Help us to understand the greatness of this gift. That we have been redeemed. We've been forgiven. There's eternal life. There's salvation. We don't have to go to hell. Though we all deserve hell. You have made a way for sinners to be redeemed, to be forgiven. This way is in your Son, your one and only Son, your perfect Son, our Lord and Savior. Lord, help us to dwell upon Him, to meditate upon Him, on His life and what He has done to redeem us and to proclaim this gift from You, to cherish it. May we be the people that You call us to be, People of joy and thankfulness, of love. People called after your own name. It's in Christ's name we pray.
Amen.